Hey everyone, welcome back to Mindful Enneagram. And this episode, we have another interview with a client of mine. His name is Michael, he's a four wing five, and we cover a ton of ground around what it's like being typed as a four, what the stereotypes around the type four do to Michael and other people that hold this type of uh, egoic energy more predominantly. We talk about Enneagram fatalism and the dangers of kind of consigning yourself to whatever the average description is of your type. And we also get into mindfulness as usual and the process of noticing our pattern and getting options to choose a more expansive way of being a a more worthwhile, a more useful pattern. We talk about creating connections with our bodies and how that assists in anchoring us to, to present awareness. And Michael shares his tendency for this type four energy to try to find a savior, try to find this thing that will fix your brokenness and his thoughts and evolution around that. So without further ado, here is the interview with Michael. So let's, let's kick this off from the beginning. Uh, what, and I'll be honest, I don't know if I remember the whole story about how we met. I know it was on a uh, Zoom call, a liturgist Zoom call, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was at the start of the pandemic. I have listened to the liturgist podcast on and off for a few years. And I think probably we're just at the very start of lockdown here in Ireland. And I think they opened those liturgist rooms um, for like, like any stage of people to kind of dial in and and uh, talk to like-minded people, I suppose. And I think I must have joined one of them. And uh, I heard you kind of talking in depth about the Enneagram. And yeah, I'd been interested in the Enneagram anyway and had done some reading around it, but not a whole heap. And I guess given this sort of situation of having a lot of time on my hands, some work and um, being at home quite a lot, I kind of just was interested in learning a little bit more about it. So I think I probably shot you a message and just said, hey, Steve, you have some time. Maybe we could uh, have a chat about some of this Enneagram stuff. Um, And then kind of like you probably think at that stage said you were getting into a little bit of coaching around it. So I was interested. So that's how it started. Okay. So let's talk about the let's talk about the typing process. Yeah. Um, you came with some knowledge, I think, already into the process once we kind of mm-hmm. got going, where we start with the typology and kind of figuring out the the ground level stuff before we get into any of the, kind of the mindful coaching along mm-hmm. with it. Um, just tell that story. What was it like to bring what you knew? What what new information um, did we uncover in the process together? And how did that unfold for you? Yeah, so I think in the reading I kind of done around the Enneagram, I was, I think I was fairly confident I knew what type I was, but it was only really from reading through some of the descriptors, I think, in, I think it was in the Rise of Hudson website. I think I remember someone saying to me a couple of years ago that one of the best ways to know your type is just by reading loads about each type. Um, So I hadn't done a test or anything, but then you suggested kind of maybe doing the Rise of Hudson test as well as part of that. And I think I then went and did that. And then we basically spent some time talking through not just the test, but kind of my own knowledge of my type and why I thought I was a a four potentially. And um, I think it was kind of in that back and forth conversation. And 
talking through how I saw the world, um, how I saw myself, things like that. And you were able to ask a bunch of helpful questions and with the kind of test result as well, included, I think, kind of draw a pretty firm conclusion that then I was a type four. Um, and possibly with a five wing as well. I remember we kind of touched on that at the start because some confusion, not confusion, but trying to clarify, you know, you've got maybe like the energy or attributes of different types included in there as well. And, you know, it's not quite as black and white as you're just entirely one thing and that's all that you are. So I think the kind of, the, the, the four with a five wing, as we kind of talked about it at the start, became quite a helpful way to describe probably um, what I felt was my type or, or my personality. Yeah. So you came with some knowledge already. We, we did the typing thing, which I, I feel like, do you remember how long it took for us to really kind of lock work for where you went from maybe to, Oh yeah, that's it. Was it a yeah. couple sessions? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it was about two sessions because I think the first session we talked kind of like what my initial thoughts and preconceptions were. And I think you were quite keen that I didn't, um, kind of just get stuck with those preconceptions, but went back to the drawing board a little bit, did that test, but also kind of had, you know, a bit of a read through kind of other, uh, like when I got the results of that. And, and then I think it was in the second session, kind of bouncing a lot of questions back and forth. Um, that it kind of, I think we both probably felt could draw a pretty good conclusion around, around being a type four. So yeah, I'd say two, two good sessions probably on that. Yeah. Um, what was it, what was the experience like, kind of locking in that type as a four was it easy was it obvious was there any challenges to it there was a little bit i think there, there was two main things that i struggled with one um was i think at the time when i started uh i probably didn't know a huge amount about like you know being you know in a sort of healthy place and a less healthy place and the impact that can have on like what your type looks like or what your Mm. Uh, what your your type energy looks like i suppose um and i think i remember at the time we talked a lot, sort of back and forth a lot about some of that type two energy which is kind of like the uh, like the helper isn't it a little bit of is, is that how it's described the type two the helper yeah I don't know. Uh, yep the helper most frequently um i think i think we had some conversation around like uh like a type four, if not in health, can kind of go to that place a little bit, almost of like people pleasing or like yeah. trying to do too much for people. Um, and I think, so there's a little bit around unpicking that around, like just because there were maybe uh, streaks of other things, it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily mean that you were just that either, uh, that it was potentially part of your own type, but maybe just in, a, in the, uh, impacted by the specific moment that you were in. So I think there's a little bit to unpick around that. And the, the five wing part was helpful too there and kind of be able to attribute bits of that. And then also I think it was helpful probably to unpick some of the, the unhelpful kind of knowledge or like, yeah, pop culture knowledge I kind of had of the Enneagram coming in because I think one of the bits I struggled with about being a, a type four was anytime I'd read anything about it online, there were always these examples given of particularly like particular famous type fours <laughs> and they always seem to be like like of the people that I knew I was like I am not that person like I'm not there's always people like Bob Dylan or Johnny Depp yeah or yeah. like you know Morrissey it's like <laughs> particularly Morrissey don't really like Morrissey you know <laughs> and uh it was just always these like uber creative like almost eccentric yeah types and it was like 
I don't know, it, it felt like totally unrealistic, you know, that they were like, list, it wasn't just that they were famous, but they were just so kind of eccentric and off the wall and what you knew of them and their public persona. They're almost like felt, caricatures, like the, almost the yeah, way. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like caricatures like of people. And you, were just like, <laughs> yeah. you were like, that's not me. I'm not right. like, I'm not any of those people. And I, I think I maybe even, I think I remember like watching back and an and interview with Johnny Depp one time and I was like, Johnny Depp's pretty intense. Like, I, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think I'm like that in that way. Um, so I think it's really helpful to kind of unpick that and put all that aside. Yeah. Those sort of descriptions and examples, I generally don't find them helpful. Like what you know of those people is generally incredibly limited to like what they have shown or are choosing to show you or what maybe films or media companies are choosing to show you about them in interviews. So yeah. it's, it's not useful. Um and it's not good to compare yourself, I don't think, either. Yeah, that's uh, good. To what, to what you think other people are like. It's much better to try and understand, I suppose, the way you view the world. And it's it's pretty hard to know how those people that they list view the world, really. You know, you can't really tell that from... Right. But we typically public. know is how they perform. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What's on display is how they perform, right? Yeah, and it's really easy to list up, like to put... For a type four, especially, it's really easy to put a big list together of like really well-known artists or musicians or whatever, and just say like, ah, oh, that's the Bohemian type four there, leave them to it, you know? Right. And that's an easy thing to do. And it's not all that helpful because I think there are plenty of people with that type of worldview or ego fixation, uh, as you put it earlier, which like who are never going to be, you know, well-known or particularly famous or anything. Um, it, and it's, it's not helpful to kind of benchmark yourself like that. I think it's much more helpful to try and set that aside and reflect on how you view the world, I suppose, how you view yeah. yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my shtick is I'd love to see a shift a little bit more away from the obsession with typology and more of a focus on how do I apply this thing to myself, right? Which is why... Yep. That's why we're talking at all, right? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of value in that side of the Enneagram. And it can be fun to type actors and type, you know, I understand the obsession with trying to type your mother-in-law and all these things, but I don't think that's where the value is. And I also don't think people are as good as they think they are <laughs> doing the typing yeah, process in the not. first place. Because um, you can never really know where other people are at. What You know, you're seeing particular attributes from somebody else and you're using it to type them, but... They might be in a really good place, a really difficult place that could be impacting how they come across. That's just not helpful at all. And, right. and I think it also it also encourages you to probably put people in a, in a bit of a box as well. Um, and yeah. I think that's not really going to be helpful. I think it's much better as a starting point just to kind of reflect on yourself and use it as a tool for understanding yourself before you really move out beyond that. I actually don't think, I can't remember the last time I had a conversation with anyone about, you know, my type versus their type or whatever, because I think maybe that's partly due to the fact that we've been in living in a lockdown for so long, but <laughs> I think it's also because kind of I've gone back to, gone back to the view that, you know, the starting point for it is, is to help you understand yourself and, yep. Obviously, it'll be useful in relationship and things as well, but there's a there's kind of a core starting point to it, and I think that's the good place to be, for sure. And and I think there's this really important. That I've been having a lot of conversations on the the Enneagram subreddit with various people around this, and 
and it actually comes up type fours and type eights, I think are some of the most uh, maligned um, mm. types, you know, that we see not just on, on Reddit, but just across the internet in general, yeah. because the caricature of it is really simplistic. Like fours are like these like deeply emotional kind of like you almost picture like a, I don't know if you remember Daria from MTV, this like emo, dark hair, you know, um, kind of somber, um, you know, chronically depressed teenage girl that's just just oozing all of this, um, all of this angst. Right. And then it's just so easy to craft that narrative. And then yep. eights are similar for different reasons. They're just the big, angry kind of bulldozer bully, you know? Yep. And uh, there's so much more nuance to that. There's more nuance to every type than just mm-hmm. trying to take the core type alone and then tease out a few of the features and say, these are the five things that make this type up, right? And yeah. I think that's a lot of what you see when, they, when people try to peg celebrities is they're looking for, or ca- even fictional characters, they're looking for the caricature to map against that really simple core type. They're right. ignoring the wing. They're ignoring levels of health, which you were just talking about. What happens when we're in stress, how our energy shifts in stress, how our energy shifts in health. And then instinctual variants are huge right? Like what our instinctual variant stacking is, you can have the same core type and have a very different experience with your ego based on your instinctual variant. So um, I was just recording a voice memo to shoot to to Reddit last night around this whole thing, because um, we almost want the meme. Like we have this really quick, simple communication that we've become accustomed to. We want the cute, funny, clever meme. We want the tweet that's 140 characters, right? We want it easy to com- to compress and to transfer. But when you do that with complex things, you lose the the meat of it. You lose, in a sense, you lose the truth of it because the truth is there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot more complexity than just those five bullets you want to pull out and throw on your Instagram picture for the type four, you know, or whatever you're doing. Yep. Um, and I think I think sometimes with other people as well, you're looking for a quick fix in terms of how you understand them. Oh yeah, you want them to put them in a box so that you can really understand how they've related to you or why they've done a certain thing. And as you've just said, people are complicated. Everyone is complex, and you you know as much as it can be the go-to now to want to simplify things down and make it easier to understand. Ah, there's so much depth and detail to people that is so much beyond just being able to you know assign a few core personality traits too yeah because you know if 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 you do that you miss a huge amount of what's in other people as well that's not a problem with typing others because you kind of miss a lot of who they are if you're kind of stuck in your head that they're only four or five characteristics yes yes and look the best way to get i'd say this i need to say it more often i've started saying a lot more there's so many questions that I field around. I'm, I'm a type four and I'm have a crush on this type six Would this relationship work. Right. <laughs> and, and it's all over the place. It's all over the internet, yeah. you know? And the truth is, yeah, it could, like it could work and it could be horrible. Right. And I would say yeah. that against any intermix of yep. core, core Enneagram uh, energies, if you're healthy and you're aware, then things will go good. It doesn't matter what your type is. Things will go well for you, right? And if you're asleep and you don't realize what you're doing, you're going to hit a bunch of brick walls inside of your relationships, whether it's romantic or friendships or with your family, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think to ask those sort of questions about relationships or whatever, 
is is kind of absolves you of any personal responsibility you have to take charge of yourself and take responsibility for yourself and how you act in those relationships. So, yeah, really, um, no, I, I, I just, I don't think that's a good place to go because as you say, you know, any two people potentially could be compatible if they're aware, if they're awake, if they're willing to do the work and asking those questions. Yeah. I think it's just a starting point of kind of washing your hands right. of the hard stuff. You, know? you can become very an Enneagram fatalist. Some people, you know, it's like, well, I do this because I'm this type or they do it because they're this type. And the truth is, if you're taking the Enneagram seriously, you're going to identify that there's a lot of complexity and nuance because the Enneagram actually calls out all of the different layers of complexity. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's the internet age that's memifying it. But if you look at the system and look at the different teachers that have added things in it and expounded on things, it's, it isn't, um, it isn't simple, right? It isn't, uh, it isn't actually a caricature. It's actually multi-layered and it talks about a multi-layered approach to how our personalities form. So if you're taking it seriously, you're looking at that and you're identifying that there's a lot of complexity. And for me, the more I've learned, the less I have been interested in trying to do the parlor trick thing, right? Or trying to um, find ways to justify behavior or say, well, they're doing, they're this, of course, they're, they're acting in some X, Y, or Z way. Mm. Um, the truth is the Enneagram is the point of identifying your pattern is so that you have freedom to choose something else. It isn't supposed to be a fatalistic model where you're just locked into a set of behaviors and you can never escape. It's the exact inverse of that. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's the kind of point where, you know, I think I've seen in the, in the Rizzo Hudson stuff or in, maybe in various different um, places, you know, they will provide some, some information or general guidelines about how certain types might relate in like close relationship. But at the end of the day, that is primarily, it's, it's yeah, you're right. It's not fatalistic. It's not complete. It's just some general guidance around what can happen with, yep. Two people have very certain types of, you know, different ways of viewing the world and viewing themselves and what you might expect in those. But um, it's not exhaustive. And, you know, there's a huge amount more more to it, but it, it can be a useful starting point, I suppose. But it, it's, as you say, getting past that kind of surface level and understanding maybe the depth that exists within Enneagram teaching, but also just within people themselves, right. yeah. you know. Yeah. And even those write-ups, they have kind of like the ways that you will work together or you could work well together and the ways that you could have blind spots and miss each other. Right. But it's all possible. Right. It's not like it's written in the stars that X, Y, and Z is going to unfold because of this type Mm -hmm. and this type together. It's just, and look, it's been useful for me, you know, as a, as a prominent type five energy and uh, my wife, who's a type two, um, there is, there are bullets in there. I'm like, absolutely. You know, Definitely. it was useful to read that. I also already knew it because I was in a relationship <laughs> with her. So we, yeah. you, you also are encountering these things. If it's accurate, it's mapping reality and you're inside reality. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good, a good way to describe it. Um, I think, yeah, like it could be, it could be useful advice or useful, maybe, starting point but it's still it's still two different and distinct people yep. and you're never going to know where you are and in, in the midst I suppose of your journey of understanding yourself when you do all that stuff so I would say like and have some personal experience that you know by using that as a bit of a framework or a basis 
you know, for doing work together, it, it could be it could be helpful, but it's not gonna it's not gonna save your relationship by itself. Right. It's not Correct. by any not by any Correct. you know extent. So no, absolutely, I absolutely agree. Um, and that's actually a really good segue to get into. I don't know what I would consider maybe the meat of it, which is my it's not like a i don't have a groundbreaking approach to the enneagram it's it's um the mindfulness piece is used by other teachers but Mm. um i don't think the enneagram does us much good if we aren't able to pay attention right so we can read all the descriptions we want we can read all of our type information but if we read that and then we fall right back asleep and then just go back through our day and back into our relationships and into our workplaces we don't, we, we, and we haven't developed any way to pay attention to those specific things, which by the way, most of the Western world's really bad at paying attention mm-hmm. because our awareness has been monetized and we have been properly conditioned to not pay attention for very long. <laughs> That's how they get those clicks. You got to get that <laughs> money, you know? Um, so let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about mindfulness practices. So I usually do like a shotgun approach um, with at least this first round of coaches and we're trying to figure out what type of mindfulness practice sticks and works and is useful. So can, uh, would you mind walking us through different stuff that you tried to, yeah. to expand that awareness? What worked, what didn't, what are you still doing? What would you like to do all of that? Yeah. Okay. So I think, um, by, by kind of coincidental chance, I had, started doing a little bit of um, mindfulness or meditation myself before I think we even had initially connected because a friend of mine, like right at the very start of, uh, of, the, of the lockdown here, had kind of put a thing out on Twitter saying he was going to do like a, a weekly meditation um, class online, like just a group meditation, basically. Sure. It wasn't very instructive or anything, but so I had started doing that kind of once a week and then started doing a little bit of my own practice then every day and then this has maybe only been going for a couple of weeks and then I connected with you and we started uh, doing a little bit of the coaching stuff and kind of then brought that that meditation that mindfulness uh, into into this work so I had a little bit I suppose a little bit of uh, of a grounding in it before um, and yeah I suppose then kind of just turned my attention a little bit to maybe taking like 10 minutes every day. I think especially when during that kind of spring and summer period when I was at home a lot, I think, you know, I was got into quite a good habit of taking 10, 15 minutes every day and just, yeah, trying to develop that practice, that meditative practice. And for me, it was about, yeah, it was about paying attention um, to patterns of thought, um, particular feelings that were coming up throughout that kind of period of time but it was also about detaching from some of that as well mm. and recognizing it I think that was a big thing because I think a lot of that kind of meditative practice that I find useful is about helping you identify that like you are not your thoughts right that you're more than just like the stuff that's running through your head all day long and even you're more than the unhelpful unhealthy thought patterns that where you might approach certain elements of life. Yeah. But until you spend the time, yeah, like paying attention to that and being able to mark it out and see it in your own head and your own mind, 
I think you can just think that it is, it's just you. It's the way you've always been, the way you'll always will be. Um, but if you can start to pay attention to it, build a kind of practice where you do notice it and mark it and even sort of note it in your own mind, I think that can be really useful to, to kind of, I think it allows you to be compassionate with yourself to say as well, like I am not my thoughts, these thoughts that run like all day long and stress out about certain things or focus on certain things and not others. You know, those are your particular patterns maybe of how I've learned to think or how I've learned to approach different elements of life. But um, yeah, I, I am not entirely like the whole, whole of my being is not entirely bound up in that, you know, right. So being able to identify those thought patterns and those things, I suppose then, yeah, puts you in that place where you may be more able to choose, you know, a different way of viewing things or a different way of approaching a situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So that's it. So go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, I, I, that's, I, I think you articulated that really, really well. That is a really important part of the mindfulness. And um, I don't, I probably don't say it enough because there's, there is identifying the thoughts that are arising, but there's also this latent background noise that, of things you're just believing. Right. Mm. So, so I think of like when I'm sitting and doing a meditation, like a breath, just like uh, anchoring to my breath, I'm noticing all of the anxieties that are popping up. I want to worry about work that I have to do in an hour. I want to worry about some project at home I have to do, right? And I'm watching that and I'm, I'm trying to see it, label it, surrender it. But I think what you just called out is that there's also this other, you might think of those as notes arising, right? But yeah. there's this chords that are just playing consistently, right? Like strings in the background also inside this kind of music analogy that is just your latent belief system that you're just kind of soaked in. It's not necessarily popping up in the sit. You're just continually believing this pattern. And when yeah. we get still, all of a sudden it can become, we can become aware, oh, I'm just latching to this 24 seven. This is actually an um, almost like an engine a belief engine that is moving me through life. And I think every type has different flavors of that engine that we believe, whether it's safety or brokenness, there's like shame and there's anger, right? We have these engines yeah. that drive us. Um, but by getting still, you can start to notice, oh, this is just, this noise is just in the background. Oh yes. Like this is moving me throughout my day. Right. And it's, not it is the thoughts that arise, but it's also kind of a lower level as well. It's the place that those thoughts come from, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like it's you. Know, the starting point was probably trying to do like 10, 15 minutes a day, and like I had so much time in my hands during <laughs> during that first lockdown that actually it was uh, it was pretty easy to find ten or fifteen minutes a day. Um, once I started kind of working again pretty regularly. And a pretty busy job it was definitely harder and has definitely been harder to maintain but i think the advantage of starting a practice and even trying to commit to something even for a few months of doing it every day is that it kind of builds um it builds a bit of an awareness uh which then you can carry on into the rest of your day or into the rest of your week when maybe you don't when maybe you do miss the odd day or aren't able to practice in the way you would like you know your awareness isn't just confined to 10 minutes maybe in the morning but sure. can continue on potentially throughout the day and throughout the week. And that's some of the benefit that I've probably noticed. Um, you know, it's using that, that meditative practice or, or mindfulness um, 
tied in with some of the, the knowledge and awareness from the Enneagram work to, to be able to build some awareness you know, throughout the week of, of how you're approaching things, how you're reacting to things. And look, it's not easy. There's loads of times you would forget it and you know, go in other directions, but it's a bit of a process. Uh, but but a helpful one, you know, yeah. um, not and not linear. I would say as well, it's not like you know scaling a mountain and reaching like a point of like Zen awareness, where you're <laughs> yeah. like perfectly aware of everything, ever. You know, uh, it's definitely going to be, you know, points where it will not work for you, and you'll maybe come back to it. But it's, I suppose, having some commitment to a practice and to, uh, yeah, to a process that you're that you feel is making a difference i suppose yeah no that's awesome um yeah we talk about that a lot that the goal in in my coaching isn't to move you um out of having an ego and um i know there are coaches and teachers that that is the goal i'm just not there i can only teach you what i have done myself right and I have not eradicated my ego. So <laughs> I can, you know, I have tools that have worked for me that have been beneficial. And that's what this work is that I'm doing, right? It's, it's trying to pass that on to people that are interested. Um, and so what we try to do is you picture like a sine wave, like the peaks and valleys. And me and you have talked about this before, Michael, but for people listening in. And the goal is to spend less time in the valley, right? Because we can wake up and then we fall asleep and, you know, you might fall asleep for a year, two years, three years. Let's bring that down to six months. And then, oh, you have the awareness you've built notices it quicker and quicker. And maybe we can get it to three months and maybe we can get it down to 10 days or whatever. Right. But the idea is we're expanding our awareness to this practice using the wisdom of the Enneagram as like a targeting system of what to pay attention to. And so we don't live in those valleys for as long as we used to. We don't stay asleep for as long as we used to. Um, yeah, that's so, a, that's a, yeah, that's a good, a really good way to describe it. I think we've, I mentioned you before, like trying to commit to this idea of like trying to find ways to suffer less yeah. in the midst of everything that's going on. And I would say, you're right. Like you could suffer for months, years through, you know, all sorts of situations, um, by simply not being aware and awake to what's happening. And I'm not saying that there isn't periods in life that are difficult and that you won't suffer no matter what, but I guess what I'm talking about is the sort of suffering that we create for ourselves because we're not awake and not aware of, of what's going on. Yeah. So I think, you know, if being able to notice some stuff about yourself or about your situation, having that awareness to think about it differently, to approach it differently and to evidently, yeah, to, to, to suffer less with it rather than consistently creating these dramas or these fictions, I suppose, about the way things are happening around you. Because um, yeah. I think, I, I know we talked briefly about this as well, but, you know, I do think about it quite a lot that, um, you know, as, as people, you know, we, we don't see the world the way it is, we see the world the way that we are. Um, yep. And I think that is stolen from one of the Enneagram authors. I can't remember which one, but I think it's a really useful like thing to remember when you're trying to build your awareness because it's so subtle. You know, you're not seeing the way in situations the way that, that they that they truly are. You're generally seeing them the way that you are. Yeah. And until you can sort of build some awareness and wake up a little bit, you're always going to see them like that. Um 
it's difficult, but I mean, valuable work, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about this uh, a decent bit where we'll talk about a life event, right? That you're held holding on to tightly and you have a perspective on it and you know, you'll share with me your perspective and then I'll just mirror back what I hear, right? Same yeah. data. It's the same situation, but yeah. I'll hear something that's seems like it's less judgmental. It's less harsh, right? Yep. Like sometimes things just don't work out. It doesn't mean that you're, you, you bombed or you failed inside of this scenario. Right. Yep. And um, that's where the kind of this idea that your ego fixation, your personality is, is your lens, right? These glasses yes. and you're filtering out things that don't work for your specific ego fixation and letting all the other data in. And to your point, this is where we get skewed. So I, where it's really valuable to have people that have a different perspective to sit with you and have conversations like these, right? To get different perspectives. It doesn't have to even be through a coaching relationship. It can be trusted friends and family members and it can be partners, you know, in life that have, I, I have a, I get so much benefit from my wife who is just this so deep in heart, you know, this type two energy so deep in heart. And here I am this type five that can look very robotic, you know, to people and spending, you know, 12 years with her has been so beneficial to me how she's been able to point mm -hmm. out this whole nother way of doing life of seeing things of having your heart open of using your emotions and viewing them not as a distraction from this the high cognitive functions but as another data point to integrate and make useful decisions and in a sense to be just plain to be more human <laughs> so yeah um super super valuable to understand that we have a specific we have a very specific perspective. And I have an interview coming up actually, just as a bit of a plug with a really cool Enneagram teacher named Dr. Jerome Lubb. And he has what he calls the brain-based Enneagram. And what I want to spend time with him doing, at least initially, is, is talking about neurologically how our personalities form in the first place. Because I think that's a really important piece of this is we got these specific lenses for a very specific reason. And it wasn't a bad thing. It just is how, it's just how this thing works, right? How our, yeah. how our egos emerge, how they keep us safe, you know, help us survive a world that we're trying to sort out as, as children. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and the other side of this whole thing for me is understanding, like holding even your dips into that valley that we talked about, holding it without judgment, right? Like understanding that even if you're doing the work, you're going to be in that state, you're going to fall asleep. It's just, it's just what happens. As a matter of fact, what I'm learning is um, I almost would prefer people to stay on for at least somewhere around like the six month mark with me, because there seems to be a dip that's consistent around between month four and month six, where mm -hmm. things are going good. You're learning all this new stuff, but then life's hitting and we're kind of in a normal cadence of connecting. And then you're yeah. hitting dips and, and to be able to be there to reassure people that no, you, this is what the work looks like. It looks like it gets stressful. It looks like it gets difficult right? And you've got to be able to notice that you're still approaching the stressful situation, this dip differently than you did before. It's still, even though it's not fun, it's not what it was, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's really important to acknowledge and, and to be gentle with ourselves when we slip into that, you know, that stressful mode and we start cutting off the things that feed us and keep us alert and then to fall asleep and then to wake up and realize, oh, I can do this. Like I can build awareness to do this. Absolutely agree. And I think, you know, 
speaking as a type four as well. There's a particular danger with some of that with like, I think we talked before a lot about kind of always looking for the desire, desire for something like to save you, something that will like provide salvation. And the Enneagram could be something that you think is going to be that thing, you know, um, and doing this sort of coaching, you can invest a lot of time and energy into get excited about it. Initially thinking, this is the thing I've been looking for. This is the thing that's going to make me feel complete. Yes. This is the thing that, I've, you know, that has been missing for all these years. But the reality is, yeah, there is going to be a dip. It's not going to feel as interesting as it once did when you maybe initially first discovered it. You're still going to feel like not complete and yeah. like you're missing something. And that's the point when it's actually useful to keep sort of hooking in and keep working because, you know, nothing, no process is ever going to, is ever going to give you that sense of feeling like the world is perfect and that you're perfect and everything is fine. Um, so I think it's been really beneficial as a four, but also just in general to kind of have that longer term view with this, you know, that it's not a, it's not a sprint of doing like four or five sessions and then you're absolutely set up for the next 20 years, but that this is like right slower integrated work that requires attention, but yes. that has benefits. Yes. Yeah. I almost, I almost liken it to, um, you know, how diet culture has kind of exploded in the last, what, 20 years, 30 years or so. And all these people try on new diets and they get the place they want to get and then they lose the novelty wears off and then they just end up yeah. going right back to where they're at. Right. And yeah. the things that work are with the light, actual lifestyle changes. Like you actually change your mind about your relationship with food. And then that changes the types of food you eat. It changes the way you treat your body. And then when you change your lifestyle, you're actually not even doing a diet anymore. Right. Mm. You're just living in a healthier way. And all the mm -hmm. studies say, this is actually how it works. If you're just doing diet, you're going to keep doing diet. You're going to keep gaining the weight back. And so what I'd like to think is that this model and this way of practicing is not a diet. We're not doing a, a consciousness awareness diet, right? We're figuring out how we, the, how we want to shift the way we move, how we want to shift yeah. the way we treat our, our awareness, how we want to expand it, how we want to treat our bodies, how we want to treat our emotions, right? these different uh, centers of intelligence, how we want to integrate them and pay attention when we're falling asleep to yep. these different ways of being a human, these different ways of knowing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the ideal, I think for, for, for myself and my own practice. And then for anybody that I'm doing work in is I really hope it's not a six month diet. Right. I, and, and it's on, at the end of the day, this is the beauty of it is it's up to the individual, like what you've done, like I'm not fixing Michael, like the Enneagram isn't necessarily fixing Michael. Mindfulness isn't fixing Michael because no, all of that is just words and practices unless you apply them, right? Yeah. And pay attention. It's, it's you. And this is the thing that I think is, is the, probably the coolest about this work is at the end of the day, we could throw all the books we want and watch all the lectures and webinars and have Zoom calls all we want. But if the individual isn't invested, in the application and, and paying attention to the application, nothing will happen. And so your progress is your own, right? So this sense yeah. that like there's an external savior, you might slip into the illusion of that, but at the end of the day, you're the one applying all of this. And actually I want to, this is a great segue because I want to talk about that a little bit more about yeah. the, the application of some of this stuff. And what I really like to, you talk, you brought up this, the, the type fours in kind of innate sense of brokenness. Yeah. Um, and we're, and we're doing, so we have the Enneagram as a guidance system. We have this mindfulness 
practice where you're learning how to pay attention better, how to pay attention uh, more consistently throughout your days, even outside of a, a sit and a very specific session necessarily. What, what have you noticed about your relationship with that really core? It's a very core piece, right? To the fore that I'm uniquely broken. What's that process been like watching that belief system? What's been hard about noticing it? Um, is there anything, has anything about this work shifted your perspective in that way? Mm. Yeah, good question. I, I think that's probably, it's probably been the most difficult bit of, mm -hmm. of this, of doing this work because it's kind of like you described before, you know, a good way to, to sort of view the Enneagram is, is like, it's the lens through which you're viewing everything, through which you're yes. viewing the world and viewing yourself. If that's the case, the whole point of lenses obviously is that you know, you're not really aware that they're there, you know, it's not like, you know, it's yes. always immediate, immediately obvious that you are, you, you are seeing things through this particular, you know, through a lens or through this distortion, you, you're just, you're just seeing, you're just kind of living your life. So yep. I suppose the thing is that some of this, especially as a four with that idea of being like uniquely broken, or I think that particular one, I feel like it's very subtle. Um, and while you, there's maybe some obvious things you can identify about it and maybe when they're kind of memifying Enneagram stuff there's some things they could easily identify when they pick up pick out some kind of you know some like broken kind of unique individuals as artists or famous musicians or whatever that's easy to do yeah. but there's a there's a subtle deeper belief a subtlety to that lens through which you're viewing the world which which is hard actually to pick out yeah, like it is, and and that's I suppose the value of of doing a, a coaching process like this, but also of of doing some of the mindfulness or the meditation or or the yoga practice, because it's it's about trying to identify even in when it, when it's subtle, um, how that kind of lens is impacting like how you're viewing a situation. So, I think, you know, for me, I, I can think of probably. A, a couple of examples where maybe describing something that might have happened in my life, you know, in work or whatever it would be. And there's an immediate go-to there of, you know, of how I'm viewing it that, you know, that I'm, you know, I don't quite fit in in this scenario or, you know, I'm just different to these other people and it doesn't quite work for me the way it all works for them. And their life is all generally pretty normal. And my, you know, yeah. my life is like, is not, and it's much more difficult and confusing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm applying this whole lens to a particular situation and it's quite useful for you to be able to say, you know, to call out that and say, well, that sounds an awful lot like you're just retreating back to this idea that, you know, you are uniquely broken. There is something that is wrong with you that is different to other people. And, you know, being able to point that out is really valuable because then it helps me, you know, to, again, I suppose, notice that myself, you know, not all the time, wouldn't be always brilliant at doing it, but being able to pick it out is useful because it can short circuit a lot of, I guess, a lot of unhelpful thoughts or behaviors. Even I think as a four, you would be inclined to count yourself out of a lot of things. Um, I've spoken to some friends about this as well to think that oh, that'll never work for me or, you know, yeah. a particular job or relationship or whatever it would be. Because I'm different that, you know, it's just there's something about me that's just not right or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, and that's, and that's not helpful. That is uh, 
that is a way of, of, of viewing yourself and viewing the world, which actually doesn't give you an awful lot and right. makes a lot of assumptions about other people and, you know, what they're thinking or feeling. Yeah, right. Um, right. So I think, you know, doing this process has probably been good at trying to pick that out. But I, I do, like, I know I've said it a few times, but it can be really subtle. I mean, this is something maybe which you've been living with your entire exactly. life. Exactly. Deeply etched neural pathways, right? Yep. And um, yep. yeah, that's a great, that's a great answer. Cause, because that's, that's the reality of this work. The reality of this work is all of us are dealing with um, I, I like to call like an egoic illusion. There is a specific belief structure that we took on because it worked for us as kids trying to survive reality, survive our environment. And it's deeply etched. We've had it, you know, since our, it was the very beginning of the formation of what we would call our identity, our personality. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you, mine is that I don't have enough resources to, to uh, participate in the world. Right. I need mm. more, I need more energy. I need more reading. I need more data. I need, right. This is why the, this avarice kind of this data greed is the, the type five um, kind of the core of, of the type five energy. And it's an illusion in the times I just go and do something before I've sat back and read 600 books on it. Right. It actually works out fine, you know, and if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. not. And, and so we, every type around the Enneagram has this, this it's it, again, I call it an illusion. I don't want to downplay it. It is huge. It's the thing we revolve around. Right. But the more we push against it and notice that reality doesn't cave in, that everything's still kind of here mm. uh, and take really good notes, like mental notes. Sometimes this is why I like journaling, because if you have a day where you really, you felt that, but you stepped into it anyway, and you notice yeah. things didn't fall apart and you write that down, you journal that, I think it helps kind of really entrench it, really ground it in reality. Oh, the belief that I've had forever, I challenged it today and everything worked out pretty good or everything didn't fall apart, right? Um, and you start to build some momentum to, to, um, to see more expansively, right. To get a wider angle lens on the world and what you get to do, how you get to move in the world. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. And it's funny because I think some of the, some of the conversations we've had about this, yeah. I had a thought there, Steve, you know, it's just gone there as I was, <laughs> as I, as I, um, I was about to, uh, to postulate on something there. Then I get slightly distracted by the sound of a plane or something outside in the, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a lot of planes. <laughs> this isn't exactly a, uh, a great studio in the back. No, no, it's airport. fine. It's fine. Um, you were talking about your wide angle lens there. I felt I had something to add, but now I've kind of forgotten what yeah. it is. Um, well, can I, can I pivot us to a little bit of a wider angle? Do it. Do it. So, so we've talked a lot about, um, working on our thoughts and noticing the emotions, yeah. right. Which is really, those are really important key things, but another really important dimension of wholeness from an Enneagram perspective, I think just from a human perspective is the, the body, your somatic kind of movement in the world. Yeah. And you intuited some body work 
um, that I was kind of surprised at, but I think was cool. Like going to the, to the beach. Um, can you, can you talk about that? What's, what's working about that? What, why did you decide to do this? What is it in the first place? Just talk us through that. Yeah, certainly. So again, I mean, I think you had also kind of, we talked a little bit about at the start of this process about that kind of like what you had done in terms of yoga uh, practice as okay. part of some of this work. Um, and I had kind of been interested in that anyway, because I just, I think I just read like a lot of people over the last year that uh, Bessel van der Kolk book, um, the body, isn't it? The body keeps the score. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I've been interested in it anyway. Um, and also because of, I had a lot of bad injuries over the years and thought it would be good <laughs> you know, to improve my uh, my my sense of well-being uh, and, and general health. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I I tried to start some of that practice. I suppose when we when we kind of kicked off this work, and then I try I was I suppose I was looking for um, a way to kind of do that, you know, outside of just kind of myself uh, in the house and. I'd seen uh, like a few friends posting about uh, this, like this yoga class that was running uh, just on the edge of Belfast here at like sunrise out at the beach. And it was kind of like you went and did like an hour's yoga and then you had like a, like a sea swim afterwards. And I don't know how many people listening to this will ever have um, been to the beach <laughs> in Belfast or in Northern Ireland, but it's not, it's not a particularly summery and pleasant What's experience. the temperature? What's the temperature out there around the summer year? Well, I mean, like when I was at the beach last Sunday morning, it was so it was zero degrees Celsius, so, you know, freezing, <laughs> freezing point there. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it should be like difficult and painful to go and do that for a lot of reasons because it's so cold and early. And like, I guess, growing up I was not somebody who liked getting up early or even having any sort of structure or routine like that was just I get part of the type four thing partially as well um but going to do that that sort of yoga practice um that early in the morning I, I think you know especially giving it that sort of like I used to do like five ten minutes in the house but going and doing that like one hour of practice I find to be really, really great at like getting you out of your head, getting you into your body and then finding going for like a pretty freezing swim afterwards as well is a good way to clear the head. And again, that also kind of grounds you in your body, I think. Yeah, and, for sure. And the real main benefit of that being that it really does short circuit, you know, those thought patterns, those things that kind of like maybe you wouldn't, I would normally be caught up with on like a Saturday of life, especially when you're spending a lot of time at home because life is quiet at the minute. You could probably get lost in all sorts of different thoughts, but that kind of practice early in the morning, like really short circuits that really moves you out of your head um, and into, in, into something totally different. I find it really, really helpful. So I was trying to do it most weeks, uh, most weekends when I could, and just trying to, again, it's, it's like building in like another little part of that practice. Maybe there's the odd time you're not going to make it or, you know, maybe it'll be canceled due to like a, you know, <laughs> terrible weather, but, you know, for the most part, it's just like adding in another little part to that kind of integrated work that you're trying to do. Yeah, um, It's not in itself going to save you, but when added into like a bunch of other things, you know, it's, it's really beneficial. And like, especially doing something that kind of, you know, is more than just a couple of minutes, like getting some time, even if five minutes, 10 minutes can be helpful, but you know, getting that sort of hour of practice, 
even alongside other people, um, trying to do it semi-regularly, I've found to be pretty useful. So, yeah. Yeah. You said something in there that I want to probe into um, as we kind of start to wrap up here in a sec. You talked about building a routine and mm. um, it might surprise some people, but building a routine is actually part of that, the growth model for the type four mm. um, and specifically um, finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? What does that look like for you? You already kind of said it. You have, this is like a regular structured thing you do. Are there other places where you've been building some? some yes. I mean, routine in? Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's interesting because I think, as you say, it is slightly counterintuitive in some ways for type four. Like I, I could lose hours, days, weeks, years of life living in an unstructured way. <laughs> and I could think that it's the most natural way for me to exist because, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, historically growing up did not require routine to kind of get through the day. Like I didn't, I, you know, I could have worked in a couple of different jobs. I could have worked, you know, shifts or strange hours and not been bothered by it. I could have, mm -hmm. you know, approached the same task a thousand different ways. I could have approached, you know, each weekend, each day, a thousand different ways. And it just was pretty natural to me, I suppose. Never really thought about it. I, I always thought of myself as someone who wasn't really routine oriented and that routine was boring. Yeah. Um, Right. <laughs> and of little use but I think actually this work that we've kind of done or a lot of these sort of coaching conversations it has really unpicked the value of that routine for a type four especially when you're trying to grow and trying to kind of move into like a new season of life or a new phase of life I suppose where you're trying to do some of this work and I think it's just going to sound like really stupid examples but like this is just, I suppose, maybe a bit of a type four mindset sometimes, which you maybe sounds unusual if you <laughs> if you don't have this mindset. But I mean, the most stupid but useful example that I could give would be that like in lockdown, in some ways, it's like the ideal environment for like a, a type four because it becomes so unstructured, lots of free time. You could, you know, do whatever you wanted on any specific day, all sorts of different ways to do it as well. And kind of a lot of time at home and like I would, still do quite a lot of music stuff. So I had a lot of time to kind of write and play around with song ideas I had and stuff. And, you know, you would kind of think that doing that and having a lot of free time and, you know, maybe even picking up a little bit of work throughout the week here and there, you know, might be good for you because it would just feel natural. But actually, like I picked up a, a job again, you know, pretty, pretty busy job, but I, I wanted to try and get back into working again. And I picked up some work in the summer again and see moving back into that routine even of just working like steady kind of familiar hours day in day out for me like I think an older version of me would have been bored by the notion of that but there's something about that routine of even having to go to the same place every day and see some of the same people that kind of grounds me a little bit yeah and 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 each day rather than kind of getting lost and I know any one of a number of of thoughts or ideas when I don't have that kind of routine and I mean, I know a lot of people work steady jobs and some people maybe will work jobs with shifts or whatever. It's all different for different people. But, you know, even getting some routine to my work life, I find over the past six months to be um, to be to be quite good. Whereas I've always kind of shirked that in the past saying like, ah, you know, I don't, you know, I always happy to work and I've always worked in, you know, fairly busy jobs. But kind of I've always had this notion that actually, uh, you know, I think I want to work 
you know, with less routine and want more flexibility, but actually the routine can be really, really helpful. And funny, even in the lockdown period, when I kind of had all that free time, I started to build in some stuff every day, like a routine for myself yep. to ground myself in the day, because otherwise it just felt like, like time was disappearing. And, you know, it, it almost became more and more stressful, the more the time disappeared. And it just felt like, I don't know, quite disorientating. And yeah, a little bit of that routine, even every day during lockdown of like making yourself a cup of coffee and trying to do the same thing every morning for what initially started as a few weeks and then became a few months. And now we're at like six or nine months of it or whatever. It just is again, grounding me a little bit in the day, pulling me out of my head a little bit and helping me to relax, I suppose, a little bit more into whatever I'm doing on that particular day. And that is counterintuitive, I think, because, you know, I, I've always kind of sought the opposite of that, I suppose, especially growing up when I was younger. But now, like, I see the value. And while I, like, love having free time and love still being involved in music stuff and all that, that world, um, I really, really value routine now in a way that I never did. Yep. Yeah, it, it brings you into the present where yeah. you would be fixated. Typically, the type four is fixated on the past and the, so ground being using the term grounded is, is perfect. I think it's the perfect language because it's grounding you in the present yeah. and you know, you're going to get up and do your breakfast thing and you're going to do your yoga thing. And, you know, even if there's different days of the weeks so that you do different things, the fact that you have them there helps you short circuit the old pattern of wanting typically to jump into the past and think of all the ways you screwed things up. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah. brings you into the present where nothing's screwed up, right. Where you're whole and you're good and everything's okay. And as a matter of fact, just having things to do, you're not thinking about brokenness, right? You're thinking about coffee and getting your yoga in and feeling present and going to your breath and feeling your body or whatever you're, you know, or going, jumping into a, an ice cold body of water, right? You don't get to think about the past. Your body won't let you. All you get is that right there. And that having that break is huge. So, yeah. so if, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, no, I think that is really, really really important um because it's just it is it's it's the opposite of that that memeified stereotyped mm. caricatured version um of a type four and i sometimes used to think one of the reasons i wouldn't be a type four was that you know i i worked in I, you know I, I did like you know like i work in a hospital and i you know, you know would sort of be in there between nine and five and like that's not really what a, a type four would do they'd be kind of like you know full-time musicians or artists or whatever and that's yep. a load of yep. nonsense really um so it, it is good it's really it is about short-circuiting that kind of that past view and yeah bringing you into that that present moment which is really really helpful i think if you're if you're a type four um it's kind of like you described i suppose i'm just reiterating it uh but it, it's just it's important um and i think it takes it, it takes time to kind of to work out. I mean, I'm still, I'm still working, working it out. Like I don't want to make it sound in any way. Like I have a perfect routine or anything. It's just like, I'm trying to develop more of a routine where in the past I didn't really have any. And yeah, as you kind of touched on, there'll be days when it'll, it'll not happen or whatever. Right. But it's about trying to commit to the practice and trying to commit to it because you know that, it's part of a, a collection of things that actually does deliver something for you that does something for you. 
so that if there's a week it doesn't work out too well, you don't just give up. You sort of say like, no, it's okay. I mean, I didn't really do much the last few days, but I know that it's helpful. So I'm going to keep returning to it um, in the yes. knowledge that it, that it does help. Yes. Yes. Perfectly stated. Um, okay. I think this is really good. I, I, I honestly believe a lot of people will connect, especially if there's any type fours that tune in. And I love that you are raw about this. You're not magically cured. Everything's not fixed, right? It's, uh, <laughs> but the process works and we've, ex- we've seen the benefits of it and it's, it's not impossible. It's work that is attainable that we can do. Um, what, what do you want to say um, to people in relationships with type fours or their type fours themselves? Is there, is there any specific words of wisdom or encouragement beyond what we've already said that you want to shout out to them? Um, no, there's probably a million things I could say. <laughs> I guess we've covered a lot of it. I think the main, the main two things which have really helped me is, is to move away from that idea and to challenge that idea of being uniquely broken. I know we've talked about that already, sure. but that that is important to, you know, whether you are type four or if you're in a relationship with a type four, understanding that that can be a thing, that that person might be like withdrawing sometimes, or there can be a bit of a push and pull in a relationship context because that person seems to have this idea that, you know, there is something like innately wrong with them. That's yeah. not quite, you know, they're not quite like everybody else. And that can be disorientating and confusing. Um, and if you're not aware of that, it kind of can dominate a lot of, you know, parts of your life and can make you make a whole host of, of decisions that maybe aren't beneficial for you. So I guess it's, you know, the importance of, of recognizing that and recognizing the subtlety of it can be important. And for another person, maybe who's in a relationship with, with, with somebody who's got some type four energy, it's, I suppose having some uh, having some grace for that as well, and understanding that you know if if it's difficult a lot of the time it's it's unlikely probably so much about <laughs> about you, but yeah. you know about the other person it, it often is about kind of the fours view of themselves, you know. Yes, that's an important Perfect. thing. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, to, that's good. To just to touch on and and also like you know, that view of the past, I know you mentioned it briefly there and being past oriented. Like, I mean, yeah, I suppose it can be helpful for like writing music sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, being stuck in the past and stuck in past mistakes and past decisions and trying to relive or wanting to redo things, like that is really unhelpful. And, but it can be rampant if you're not in a good place as a type four, that can be like, that can dominate, you know, your entire day. Why did I do this? Why did I make that decision? Why didn't I do this at university? Why didn't I take that job? Why did I do this in this relationship? It's just this on-running commentary that can go all the time. And so I suppose there's two things with that. One, there's knowing that that a type four could be dealing with that a lot of the time. And again, having a little grace and understanding for that, but also to not indulging it. So not always indulging that kind of wanting to return to the past and like, you know, I really wish I could have done this differently. You know, it's about, you know, drawing that person back into the present, I suppose, is actually really useful. I mean, you don't want to ignore like their emotions and things like that and feelings, but it, it is important to, you know, to, 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 
to not indulge that. And actually that's why the routine's good. That's why even just being in a relationship with another person who's different can be good because while there's challenges to it, there's a lot of value in someone pulling you out of that and back into the present, you know? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I would say that would be, those would be the two big things for me. I would think. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. I want to add something on uh, to what you just said and, and correct me if you don't think this would work for you. But I think what happens sometimes is we can listen to like a panel or listen to an interview like this with somebody who's has a specific um, type energy. And we hear like you hear, you can hear what Michael's saying. And, and these are things that fours are dealing with. So have some grace and um, do what you can to pull them into the present. I want to add on to that. Use this information. If you suspect someone's a type four or you know that they are and you think they're doing this, have the conversation. <laughs> Don't just assume that you know what's going on internally. And I will say this across the board, regardless of your Enneagram type, we try to do the parlor trick thing so much that we're guessing because this person's this type. So they probably have this internal thing going on. You can be wildly off. You could be wrong about their type altogether. Have the conversation with people, right? If you care about them enough to try to type them, care about them enough to sit them down and have like genuine, authentic, transparent conversation around what you're Mm -hmm. observing and what, what's going on. Right. And mm-hmm. listen, learn to really listen well and hear them. That's the best way to have relationships, not to guess at people's types or guess because you read a description or you heard an interview that you know what's going on inside of them, have yeah. the actual conversation. So I just want to add that in. Well, everything you said is perfect. I think those are good guide rails, but anything you hear in any of my interviews, it like take it as guidelines as a framework that you can look at and you might be able to notice, oh, I wonder if they might be doing this. I'm going to actually sit them down and have a conversation and see if maybe this is right. Instead of changing all my behavior at a, because I'm guessing that what so-and-so said about this type is what's going on with this individual and, and skipping yeah. the most important piece, which is actually communicating with the people you care about. Yeah, I definitely completely agree with that. I think, you know, when I was kind of even talking about that stuff there, I suppose I was, I, like implicit in that is that is the understanding that this is probably like a in the context of like a, a close relationship or something yes, because absolutely. you know I knew what you were saying I wasn't throwing any stones I think no, that was no, no. I know that I know was just, yeah. I think I think but it's it is a really important thing to remind people of because it's not like I think that person's a four so I'm just gonna go and like stop them in mid sentence and say hey man stop <laughs> stuck in the past you need to come back to the present it's like you that's you need a routine you need a routine right <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely not helpful. Prescriptive, right. patronizing, not good. I guess what I mean is when you, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody yep. or somebody that you know really, really well, yeah, having that conversation is really, really useful. Um, and you know, I would say even as a as a preemptive basis for that, you know, there would have to be maybe both some awareness around the enneagram or whatever. You know, there's something as part of that because the whole point, obviously, is that a lot of the time you're not aware that you're doing it. Yep. So it's really not helpful to consistently like sort of like try and catch people out and say, are you doing that again? You know, you know, like, yeah, yeah. that's why I mentioned having grace because a lot of times people aren't aware that they're like suffering in the past just no, because, absolutely. you know, so yeah. it's like, there, there's, there's certain things which are absolutely like must do's in those sort of conversations. And it's, it's about having a care and a great and grace for the other person. And also yeah, taking the time to have the in-depth conversation and, you know, if you're doing some work around the Enneagram together or if you've done it separately or whatever it is, it's, it's taking the time to get to know that person 
um, much beyond just what you might think they're they're dealing with or, or suffering with. Absolutely. All right, man. This was good. I appreciate yep. you hopping on and doing this with me. Uh, I think this will be beneficial for a lot of people to listen to this and to get more than just the caricature, but to get an, an actual honest take of somebody who has strong type four energy and um, how you're progressing and you're growing and moving into more expansion. So, yeah. and I love that I get to work with you. Uh, this cool. has been, it's an awesome relationship and you're killing it. And honestly, out of everything, I hope that you're paying attention to how much you're growing and letting it sink in because you've got a very stoic vibe. And I know you're, you're serious <laughs> about the work, but let it sink in too, right? Don't filter out all the progress because mm. I mean, it's, I mean, it's been what, six months, seven months. And um, I mean, you've been with yourself longer than me, but I've already seen a massive shift, right? Yeah. It's been uh, even longer than that potentially, but yeah. 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 I think oh. um, it's, it's good to kind of check in like this sometimes any sort of process and, and uh, kind of good to reflect on, yeah. on some of the work that has been done, you know, so happy to, happy to chat always. Cool. All right, man. I got to jump. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. Yep. Bye. If you're interested in Enneagram coaching and my style resonates with you, feel free to reach out to me at mindfulenneagram.coach and you can click the get in touch button. To discover if there's a good fit, we'll have a call over Zoom that I call an Explorer session. It's just 15 to 30 minutes, figuring out if where you want to go and my methodology will mesh. I also want to take a minute to give a shout out to Outside Golden, who's provided all the music for this podcast. Very much appreciated. And thank you for listening.